This is Inside Firetown. Welcome to the Inside Firetown podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars. And joining me today is a former member of the Providence College men's basketball team, a three-time NBA champion as a member of the Chicago Bulls, and Providence College Athletic Hall of Famer, Mr. Dickie Simpkins. Dickie, why did you choose to attend Providence College? Oh, man, I chose Providence College because growing up um, in the D.C. area, DMV, I was always watching uh, Big East basketball and ACC basketball. So when I got to high school, I always said I wanted to either play in the ACC or the Big East. And then when um, I started getting recruited and started really analyzing the situations and really evaluating where a good fit would be, Providence College became one of those options. And it became one of those options because they had just came off of the Final Four run, which was exciting to see. I wanted to play on TV, which the Big East was on TV. And I wanted to be a part of something that was uh, starting up to build a tradition or to build winning. So I wanted to kind of go and um, kind of go somewhere and build my own or be a part of building a, a legacy or building a winning tradition. And Providence had started with Rick Pitino with the Final Four. And and then lastly, it just seemed like an opportunity for me to be able to come in and, and if not start, play starter minutes, play on TV and be a big part of playing in a big conference like the Big East. So um, those were some of the biggest things that drew my attention. And it was uh, I wanted to get away from home and kind of grow up. And then I like the fact that Providence College basketball was like the NBA of um, Providence. You know, it was the main thing going on, one of the main things going on in Providence at the time. And so that was attractive, playing in a big arena downtown. So those were the things outside of when I came on my visit, just the, the family atmosphere that I felt, the family vibe among the players. And so those were the reasons why I chose Providence College. The 93-94 team, your senior year, had four players, including yourself, that would eventually play in the NBA. What were the goals and expectations heading into that season? Before we even got to that last season, we came in as freshmen in the top five recruiting class in college basketball in 1990. Franklin Weston, Rob Phelps, Troy Brown, Michael Smith, and myself. And so we all stayed together for those four years. And obviously added pieces as we went along. And so going into that 93-94 season, we had evolved to a level where all the hard work, the ups and downs, it was time for it to really pay off. We had came off of that junior year, the season before getting to the Final Four at the NIT, coming up short from being invited to the tournament, but took advantage of the NIT and we wanted to build off of that. So going into the season, the goals were to to build on the NIT Final Four, get to the tournament, and really etch our names in stone in Providence College of History before we graduated that year. And we had the addition of Abdul Abdullah, who was a Providence native. We added Eric Williams, who obviously was, uh, you know, a very valuable piece and very talented scoring piece that came. And then we just wanted to make a name for ourselves and just put a stamp on Providence College basketball in the Big East, and we got it rolling. We got it rolling, and then um, we were faced with the conversation of Coach Barnes 
um, moving on to another job. It was kind of a, a distraction a little bit, but we kind of gathered it together. And I remember us having a meeting before we went to the Big East tournament. Mike Smith and I and Rob Phelps called the team meeting, and the goal was just to win. We had got on a roll, and the goal was to make the tournament make a run in the tournament and to win the Big East when we got to the Big East tournament. So those were the, those were the goals. Speaking of the Big East tournament, your Friar squad, your senior year was the number four seed in the tournament. You knocked off UConn, who was the number two team in the country. And then you beat Georgetown in the final. What was it like to win the Big East championship? UConn was, yep. Number two in the country. We had lost to them at Providence by a last second shot. Kevin Ollie driving the length of the court, the, buzzer beater so that kind of hurt and left a sour taste you know we had like a semi Detroit Pistons slash Chicago Bulls type feeling towards the Huskies so it was uh it was uh, some intensity competitive intensity competitive energy between both teams and you know we really wanted to show that we were better um and that we you know needed to make up for the loss during the season so going into that game it was a big game. It felt it that game against UConn felt like the championship game. It was an exciting game. Came down to the wire and came down to the last seconds. And then going into that Georgetown game in the championship, you know, we just got together again, called the team meeting and at the hotel that night before the championship game. And, you know, we just talked about, hey, four years have paid off. We came in this thing together as five freshmen. We got to a point where we added pieces and we were the team that we were at that time. And what better way to finish up Providence College season by winning a Big East championship? And we were just focused. We were locked in. We were on a roll. Everybody was uh, bought into their role and what it took to win. And that was um, that was the mindset going into the championship game against Georgetown. And we got the job done. Do you still keep in touch with your college teammates? Yes. Yeah, we I keep in touch with them one way or another, whether it's through text messages or phone calls. I keep in I keep in contact with uh with the majority of them. And sometimes we get together. I mean, I see some of the guys throughout the year, whether I'm scouting or doing a TV game. I see guys throughout the season, um, whether I'm in Boston catching up with some guys, whether I'm in Providence or you know, whether I'm somewhere where they live or we just catch up, like I said, via text. So one way or another, I've communicated with the majority of the guys I played with throughout my freshman year all the way to my senior year. You were drafted by the Chicago Bulls in the first round of the 1994 NBA draft. What was the draft process like? And did you know you're going to be picked in the first round? Well, the process was basically going into that draft. I didn't know. I didn't have any idea whether I was going to be drafted or not. Um, I had a pretty good senior season. We won, but I didn't know. And I got invited to the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament, which is called the PIT. And it was for seniors, and it was a draft um, process event. And I was just focused. I spent, when the season was over, I just stayed locked in in the gym, working out, lifting weights, focused on what I needed to do to perform well in front of NBA scouts. I went down to the Portsmouth Invitational, which was in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, and I kind of tore it up. You know, they said they were going to take six players, the six players that made the all-tournament selection, take six players on to the next draft uh, event, which was in Phoenix. And uh, it was called the Desert Classic, and that was basically the top projected 60 players in the draft were going to play in that event. 
I made the all tournament team and I was down there super focused and just play the games, go get something to eat, take care of my body in my room, just real focused. And then when I got to Phoenix, I played well in that event, event and made all tournament. And then as the process went on, I started hearing that my name was moving up the board. And then I started getting invited by different NBA teams for NBA workouts. I want to say I went, I did about, I want to say I did 15 NBA workouts, 15 or 16 NBA workouts um, with teams, NBA teams. And uh, some of those workouts were just me alone working out in front of the front office. Some were one-on-one, some were in a, environment of me playing with a group of guys. Um, so there were different types of uh, processes or the, the workouts when I went to the teams. Um, they would have me go to see the psychiatrist. If they had a team psychiatrist, I would have to do physical stuff, measurements, testing, skills, and then eventually sit down with the front office and for dinner and interviews. So it was a long process that I embraced, enjoyed, and uh, cherished. And then as it got closer to the draft, the, my agent had got word that it was a strong chance I could be a first-round pick. And I think I was projected to go anywhere from 18 to the end of the draft. And so that's how the process went. And I just stayed locked in, focused, training, working out, and kind of blocked out everything to help achieve my ultimate goal. And take me into the night of the draft. Was there any indication that Chicago was going to pick you? Or what was that first phone call like for the Bulls? Had no indication that Chicago Bulls were going to pick me. And I flew to Louisville, Kentucky, because my mother was there for an event she was involved in. And I wanted to spend the draft moment with her. So my agent and I flew to Louisville, Kentucky, and kind of set up a draft room in a hotel. and. Um, my mother, my agent, and I watched the draft. And before the draft, um, I called every team that brought me in for a workout and spoke to the general managers and thanked them for having me in for a workout. It was funny because when I called the Chicago Bulls, Jerry Krause got on the phone and the first thing he said was, uh, nobody called you, nobody called you. And I said, I said, yeah, Mr. Krause, yeah, I know nobody called me. I was just calling to thank you for bringing me in for a workout. I really appreciate it. So it's kind of when I got off the phone, I kind of was thinking I didn't seem like the Bulls would be the ones drafting me. And uh, lo and behold, came to the 21st pick and David Stern came out there and said the Chicago Bulls with the 21st pick selected uh, Dickie Simpkins from Providence College. And I just stood up in the hotel room and put both arms in the air like I just uh, won a, a boxing championship belt. I mean, I just felt like all the hard work had paid off, gave my mother a hug and my agent a hug, just was super happy. And then the Bulls called me. It was an intimate uh, draft experience with just my mother and my agent. It was just a moment that I've always cherished in my life. What was it like to play for Phil Jackson? It was an interesting experience and an enjoyable experience and a learning experience. Um, Phil Jackson had a you know a veteran mentality, so he went with veteran players. You know, told me I had to wait my turn, but Phil, you know, taught me the triangle respected my abilities and my basketball IQ and feel for the game and versatility. You know, Phil had a mental approach. He had a mental calmness approach to embracing the moment, which 
um, was big towards me seeing and understanding and developing. And that approach was effective, very effective for our Bulls team. You know, Phil had an unbelievable knack of how to blend personalities and and uh, egos and talent and different brands together for the common goal. But Phil always went about things with a real mental calmness approach to embracing the moment, which was big. And we did a lot of things from yoga to, you know, just clearing your mind and visualization to all kinds of things. So you could understand from a mental aspect, understand your role, understand the moment, and be able to embrace it with a calmness and uh, a focus. During your first season of the NBA, word gets out that Michael Jordan may quit his baseball career and come back to the league. What were you thinking when you heard those rumors, and what were your teammates on the Bulls saying? When I heard those rumors, people were asking, always asking, is MJ coming back? And at that time, didn't know. One day I was taking a nap on the couch before practice, and it was in the kind of the lounge. And when you entered the, the practice facility, you came through the lounge. And I kind of woke up a little bit, but one of those uh, when you wake but you still sleep, and a guy walks in and says, what's up, young fella, and keeps walking. And I kind of go back to sleep, and I'm like, that couldn't have been MJ. And then I finally get up and I go get ready and I go in the training room and actually it was MJ that kind of began the reality that he was coming back. He came a couple of times and then the next thing I know, he came and suited up and started practicing with us in December. And we were supposed to keep it under wraps, not talk about it and not discuss it. And people would ask. And so I couldn't say anything. And that began to solidify that MJ was coming back. And then they decided on a comeback date and it became reality. It was an unbelievable experience because everything went from zero to 100. Everything moved real fast. I remember getting drafted and I was excited to get drafted by the Bulls because the Bulls had built this championship brand. And then I was like, man, I, I just missed playing with MJ. And now, fast forward in December, MJ's back practicing and about to join the team. It was just an amazing feeling. And like I said, it went from zero to a 100. Like, it was uh, excitement. It was expectations. It was high-intensity energy. And it was uh, pushed us to being back to a championship-caliber team again and just seeing the – MJ in practices and games and learning from him. It was just, it was amazing. It was surreal. It was amazing. And like I said, the biggest thing was that transition just went so fast right into um, what was going to be three championships and like a rock band, a traveling rock band. ESPN is currently airing a documentary about the 97-98 Bulls team entitled The Last Dance. You started that year with the Golden State Warriors, but found your way back to the Bulls later in the season. Was there a noticeable difference in the team when you returned? No, I mean, that is true. I got I was traded to the Golden State Warriors in September for Scott Burrell, and I always mess with Scott Burrell, telling him, you got to thank me every time he sees me for helping him get a championship ring. But I was out there in Golden State at the beginning of the season, the first half of the season. That was the season when Sprewell choked Carlissimo, so... It was a different environment from being with the Bulls. The Golden State Warriors were making a transaction with trading Joe Smith. I kind of got caught up in being a casualty of war. Things didn't work out like I thought it would, and I, they ended up waving me. And then my agent called me a couple of days later and says, Jerry Krause called him and said, Phil and MJ wanted me back with the Bulls. So that was just a great feeling. And uh, when I got back in February, started practicing, 
Phil caught me up to speed with where everything was. He, you know, caught me up to speed with the last dance theme, caught me up to speed with the energy and the intensity was on this being the last time everybody was together and what my role was and what they needed me to do. I wasn't surprised on where, you know, things were as far as the tension and the energy and the intensity. You know, I had seen for the first couple of NBA championships where things had kind of transpired between Jerry Krause and Bill Jackson and MJ. And so I saw where that was headed. And so I wasn't surprised that it kind of hit a boiling point at that point in time when I got back. But Phil brought me up to speed and, and Phil did a good job of keeping us um, locked in and, um, you know, keeping the outside world out of what we had focused on and what the goal was, the common goal was. So finishing the last dance with a championship. I got the cliff notes of the situation and transitioned right back in like I never left. And after joining the team, was there any doubt that you'd be winning a third straight NBA championship? No, there was no doubt. MJ is the greatest player to ever play the game. I had experience watching this, learning from this, and winning with the team for the first two championships. So like I said, coming back, felt like I'd never left. You know, the team was on all cylinders going into the playoffs, finishing up the season going into the playoffs, and uh, with having a leader that was the best player to ever play the game, that's so focused and was leading um, that championship team. And I had no doubt that we were going back to the finals and that we were going to win it. I mean, that's the confidence that MJ instilled in everybody, and you saw it. So. No, I didn't. I didn't have any doubts that things were going to play out like they played out, and um, just seeing MJ be the leader that he was, and then intense and competitive, and playing with a chip, I just knew that how it was going to flow into a third championship. And for those of us that will never have the opportunity, what is it like to win an NBA championship? Man, people always would ask me that, and at the moment of winning them. And it was just, it was hard to describe. It's just an unbelievable feeling of motion when you're winning a championship. But I would say that um, the biggest feeling or experience is later on down the road. Feeling it more down the road because being a part of history, being something that people always talk about and reference to and seeing the games on TV when they show the Bulls games and those runs, being a part of one of the greatest teams ever. The feeling is, you know, I felt I feel it more later on now in life. The initial feeling in the moment was just so emotional and so unbelievable. But later on down the road, the feeling is just uh, it's just a great feeling of being a part of history that can never be taken away and it will always be talked about. How often do you still talk to your teammates from the Bulls? Uh, I pretty much, like with my Providence Friars teammates, I pretty much talk to everybody that I played with with the Bulls, either by phone or through text message. Or I see them at an event. Like, you know, I'll see Bill Wellington and I'll see Randy Brown and Pete Myers uh, when I'm at an NBA game or when I'm at the Bulls game. I talk to MJ on a regular basis. I talk to Scotty from time to time. Uh, I last talked to him about right towards the end of the college basketball season because I was at a Vanderbilt game watching the Sun play. I talked to Ron Harper 
a month ago. I was at a Rutgers Purdue game watching his son play. Um, and we chime into each other from time to time on text messages. Uh, I see Steve from time to time. I talked to Judd, talked to Tony the other day, do text messages. So, I mean, I talk to one way or another, chime in with guys from time to time. I talk to Phil from time to time. So, talk to everybody. You also played overseas in Greece, Spain, and Germany, just to name a few of the countries. What was the biggest difference between the NBA and the international leagues? I mean, the NBA is the show. I mean, it's the accumulation of the greatest players in the world in basketball. Everybody wants to play in the NBA. And now, obviously, the NBA is on, is where I'm home here in the States. Um, I think the differences, other than that, are Europe is a different style of basketball. Europe is a different style of officiating. Europe is uh, international basketball is, you know, learning different cultures, learning different uh, lifestyles and cultures, different environments. Um, where you and you're an MBA, I mean, everybody's been, for the most part, you're speaking English and you're here at home. And I think uh, the fans in the NBA are, you know, it's a great environment of fans. But the fans in Europe are like live or die by their their uh, teams of that country or the teams of that town. I think, uh, you know, and then obviously the differences of the food, but I think the you know the culture, the style of play, the officiating, um, the language, those are the different things that stand out from uh, the NBA and and uh, international basketball. And as an analyst for Fox, you see a lot of college basketball. How has the game changed since you played? Yeah, I see a lot of different basketball. The game has changed. Um, the game has changed because. It's more acceptable now of positionless players, um, guys not really having a specific position. The game has changed where, you know, it's more versatility now, versatile players. The game has changed where shooting is more of an emphasis. The game has changed where scoring is more of an emphasis also. The game has changed because of the social media aspect and the access that fans have to players and to organizations and to the inside view of the of somewhat of the process and what's going on, whether right or wrong, it's changed in that aspect. Um, the game has changed where, you know, I don't know if the intensity of competitiveness is at the same level as it was when I was playing with the Bulls and the intensity of competitiveness that MJ brought. And the game has changed as far as accountability. I think there might be, there seems to be, and this is a, and this is coming from someone who, who has worked with the grassroots a lot, and I know the grassroots landscape, the level of accountability is not as high as it was when I was playing with the Bulls and when I played at Providence College in the Big East. It seems like a lot of times players or athletes try to avoid accountability um, or try to hide from accountability and everybody wants the championships everybody wants the money everybody wants the limelight but a lot of times they don't want the accountability and that's one thing I got to give MJ he made sure everybody was accountable himself and the team everybody was accountable and knowing their role embracing their role and starring in their role doing the best of their role um, I think I think that's has, has changed the NBA and basketball in general has just become a broader, um, visible, 
an accessible state of the game for everybody, everybody playing the game and everybody watching the game as a fan. So I think those are the biggest things that have changed in the, in the game. And finally, in addition to your role as an analyst, you've been an NBA scout and coach at the AAU level. Are there any other jobs you've had in basketball and what involvement do you still have in the game? I've been blessed to work around the game, work around the game that I love, work around the game that has been great to me. Coaching, I've coached uh, events with NBA prospects, scouted for the Charlotte Warners, I've done TV for ESPN, and now I'm doing TV for Fox Sports. Like you said and mentioned, I built a basketball program in Chicago that does development and um, has grassroots AAU teams that's had success in helping guys um, get college scholarships. And we've had guys go on and play in the NBA, play internationally, play in the NFL. You know, I'm always speaking. I'm always speaking at um, basketball events or to basketball teams. And so I've had a wide range of being involved in the game. Um, and it's been great. I continue to stay locked in and be involved in all those different areas in the game. And I love it. And I love being able to take what I've been blessed with and affect the game. Thanks for listening to this bonus edition of the Inside Friartown podcast. Please download, like, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.